All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where with all this talk of sacrifice from the Lakers' new role players and with Adele now dating Clutch founder and CEO Rich Paul, I guess you could say the 2021-2022 Los Angeles Lakers are rolling in the deep, as in role-playing in the deep. Anyway, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. Alan, how would you rank your anticipation and excitement of this Lakers team in comparison to the other years in this Lakers-LeBron era? You know, from when LeBron first signed to then waiting to see the AD-LBJ pairing to now waiting to see Russell Westbrook play with this whole crew of veteran Hall of Famers, but now with LBJ and AD now entrenched in the purple and gold. Like, how would you rank your excitement there? Um, Recency bias probably informing this, but probably this season. I think, yeah, honestly, wow, I am the lit. most excited <laughs> for this season right now. Because the first one with LeBron, of course, like, that's freaking dope as hell, right? That LeBron James is a Laker. But, of course, we knew what, like, the surrounding team was. It's the kids and all that stuff, which is exciting in its own type of way. But as far as, like, real expectations, um, like, we thought maybe we could challenge, be competitive. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, like, here we are. We've definitely arrived. We're the front runners, you know. Um, so, I mean, the fact that there's the Expendables roster, like, the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> these are guys that, yeah, like, we grew up with. A lot of these guys are, like, right around our age. Um, there's just a different type of connection. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And we're going to talk about that connection in today's episode. Uh, we're going to continue talking about this roster, rank our top three free agent signings for the Lakers now that we have full context of everybody we signed for the most part. And then we're going to talk about, you know, the mercenary renegade way this team was constructed and whether or not we wish it maybe had come together a little bit organically or whether none of that really matters at all at this point. But before we get to that stuff, I want to throw out some interesting stats about this team. So last episode, we talked about Kendrick Nunn's ridiculous efficiency, shooting 48% for a 6-2 guard, right? Well, Wayne Ellington has some pretty impressive efficiency numbers as well when it comes to shooting. So out of all the guards in the NBA who played at least 15 minutes last season, Wayne Ellington ranked 11th overall with a true shooting percentage of 62.5%. So obviously all he does is really shoot threes, but he did that at a very high clip and at a very good rate. He doesn't get to the free throw line that much, but obviously when he does, he'll hit them. So just crazy shooting numbers from Wayne Ellington. And as you've probably seen from the tape, he's not just strictly a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He can dribble the ball a couple times and really hit that shot and come off curls. His off-ball movement as a shooter has been really impressive to sort of dig into. Um, Another interesting stat. Last season, Carmelo Anthony had two games in which he scored 17 points on his own in the fourth quarter alone. Both were wins, one versus Philly, in which the Blazers actually needed his help in coming back. One was versus Charlotte, in which he helped blow the game open. So not one game where he scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, two games. I don't think we had a player outside of maybe LeBron James and Anthony Davis who could do that last season. Hell and Melo's slated to be our third or fourth guy off the bench, you know? So pretty impressive. Another impressive stat, the Lakers last season didn't have any player who had a game with five steals. Kent Bazemore recorded two such games. Granted, one was against us during the play-in game. Uh, The other was a six-steal game in a win that he had versus, I think, the Wizards. But regardless, to record two such games of five steals like that in one calendar year is pretty impressive and I think speaks to Bazemore's length. So he definitely gets the swiper badge. Last interesting stat, three-point shooting. So... 
This is the number of times the new Lakers players have hit at least five threes in a game last season. Who do you think tops that list out of our new guys in terms of guys who had multiple five plus three games? Hmm. So the question was, how many of the new guys? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a list. How many times the new guys hit at least five plus threes in a game last season? Which new Laker player do you think had more of those games? Um, shoot. I know Malik Monk went off that one game, but I don't think it's him then. Um, four and five. Let's see. I'm drawing a blank. I don't know. <laughs> um, Kendrick Nunn? No, it was not. So Wayne Ellington tops our list. Okay. Because I was thinking like minutes wise, you know what I mean? But I mean, he was on a crappy Detroit team. So I guess there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity there. Yep. You're so right. Wayne Ellington last season had eight games where he had five threes recorded. That's insane. Up? So in those eight games, that included one game where he hit eight threes, seven threes, and then he hit six threes four other times. Just ridiculous bonkers shooting from Wayne Ellington. And I told you, he had that stretch where he hit 40 of 67 in like eight games. So that's nuts. Next, number two, is Malik Monk. He had five games in which he hit five plus threes. Oh, I was going to say Monk. (laughs) Yeah, including a game where he hit nine of 13. And then he had like another game where he hit six threes. Surprisingly, Kendrick Nunn ties him at second with five games of five plus threes, including one game where he hit six of 12. So that's pretty crazy, you know, because Nunn, you wouldn't think he's a pure shooter, but the dude shot 38% from the field and had five games where he hit at least five threes, which is nuts. Carmelo Anthony did it three times last season. Also pretty impressive, including a game where he had six threes. Trevor Ariza, even though he only played like 20 games and only played half the season, Did it at least once. He had a 5-for-7 game. And lastly, Russell Westbrook had a game where he hit five threes, a 5-for-11 game. And he also had a couple of, like, 4-of-9, 4-of-6 games sprinkled in as well. So as bad as his overall three-point shooting percentage is, Russell Westbrook does have streaks where he can get hot from three-point land. So if you count all of that together, that's 23 games of 5-plus threes from all of our new guys, cumulatively, right? By comparison, last season's Lakers, so who do you think tops the list for last season's Lakers in terms of games with at least five plus threes? (laughs) LeBron? He does have a few games of that, but he doesn't top our list. But it's not him. Okay. Um, Hank Coos. Could it be Schroeder? No, no, no. no, Hell no. Let me help you out, my friend. It's a struggle, dude. It wasn't Wes. He didn't play much. (laughs) Oh, duh. KCP. Yeah. So KCP tops the list from last season. He's number one. He had five games where he hit five plus threes, which is good. Solid. LeBron James is number two with three games. Kuzma, number three. He did it two times. Wes Matthews did it one time when he had that crazy six of six game versus San Antonio when he was absolutely on fire. And... That's it, Alan. <laughs> no shredder. <laughs> you add all those up, and that's 11 games of 5 plus 3s versus 23 from the new guys, okay? Not to say that that's going to happen, but I think it just shows you the caliber of shooters that we put together here and how explosive they could be. So you can almost envision this season 
man, once they got the momentum rolling, that can be an avalanche of three-point shots going down because these guys are not just catch-and-shoot three-point shooters. These are guys who can take a dribble, step back, hit that shot, or cross a guy over, pull up in transition off his own dribble and hit that three still. So uh, in terms of three-point shooting from the new guys, really, really impressive stuff. All right, so with that said, Alan, with context now in mind and most of our free agent signings in full perspective, how would you rank our free agent signings in order of, I guess, importance? let's, Let's do it this way. Give me your top three rankings of our new free agent guys from a personal slash narrative perspective first. Okay. I would go with Dwight <laughs> because it sucks so much to lose him last year. Like we talked yeah. about it so much, like when it happened, middle of the season, entering into free agency right now. It's like, God, it'd be so great if he came back. And uh, it isn't just like for sentimental reasons, you know, like we really missed him. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have Dwight up there for sure. Um, obviously, Westbrook. I mean, that's like. Well, that's not free agency. That's trade. So that doesn't count. Yeah. Um, Westbrook number one, just no matter what. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, for a second, I felt stupid. I was like, how could I not say Westbrook number one? Um, second. I'm going to go. I'm actually. I'm going to go with Mello. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mello. Um, I mean, we know he's going to play. We know he's going to get quality minutes, right? Um, from like a narrative perspective and all that stuff, I mean, yeah, like we've been rumored all the way back to like Andrew Bynum days, you know, with Jim Buss. <laughs> what, like I remember sitting in the parking lot in college in my car, listening on the radio to like the free agency crap. Like I remember that. And uh, the fact that it has been like freaking like a decade, you know, since all of those talks is crazy. Um, and obviously like the storyline with him and LeBron and, you know, that whole yeah. thing. Um, and I mean, hearing guys like freaking George Carl say crap about him right now, right? How, oh, well, you know, we were up all night trying to like scheme for defense and, you know, whatever. So like, screw all that. Um, I'm, I'm so excited. Like just imagining Mello win the chip in like a less than a year from now, that would be huge, you know? And again, does he have anything left to prove? No, like he, his legacy is cemented. But to get a ring and he's going to contribute, right, um, would would be so huge. And to think of, like, how happy LeBron would be, right, to, like, be there doing it with him, it's massive. Um, Sorry, do you remember when we used to follow uh, Arya Abraham, counter Arya, for oh, all of the Mellow oh, news? We're like, course. yo, is Mellow at Mastro's right now eating dinner with the <laughs> Lakers dudes? Yeah, it's, it's crazy how far we've come. But, yeah, go on with your number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So number three. Um so we're just talking like mainly like narratives, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll get to the um, practical side. Yeah, 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 for sure. So number three, I'm going to go Trevor Reza. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Trevor Reza because I remember, you know, when we lost him, um, that was really heartbreaking. You know, it's like, dang, like we get it though. Like this guy, him and his agent, whatever, like he kind of sees what the ceiling is in terms of a contract and all that stuff. So it's business decision and all that. And then to get Ron Artest was like, holy shit, like that's like kind of an upgrade. Like that's amazing. I, I remember, I think I was with Tommy and I was with our other friend Victor when all that news went down. Um, and how many times have we said, oh, maybe Trevor Reza, maybe Trevor Reza. And he even said it in his presser. Like, yeah, there've been times where we've been trying to like reunite over and over and over and just hasn't worked out. And like, it's fine. Um, so the fact that it's happening now, um, it just feels right. 
you know? Um, Yeah. Like, I can't help but saying, like, it just feels right for, like, so many of these guys now. Right. Um, And, yeah, like, we love Trevor Reese. He already talked about how, like, he came out of nowhere. We acquired him. All of a sudden, he's starting. And it's like, oh, my God, like, this guy's freaking amazing. Like, you can still see him in your mind, like, jumping the passing lane, right, on an inbounds pass, and then dunking it on the other end and, like, all that kind of stuff. So those are my top three. So those are my top three as well in different orders. I have Trevor Rees at number one, the full circle narrative of him coming home, literally home for him, to the team that gave him his first shot to shine in the Lakers and being the last and only time he won a ring. Obviously, his relationship with Kobe, who he saw as a bigger brother and mentor, him being the only current player and only current Laker to have played with Kobe during those championship team runs is pretty special. Number two, Carmelo Anthony. I mentioned in the last podcast how he just came off as so endearing and charismatic to me and how you can just sense how much he's matured. I mean, he was so close to Kobe. Actually, I feel like his relationship with Kobe was probably a little bit closer than even Braun, right? I agree, yeah. And his friendship with LeBron is so palpable from their AAU days to coming up together in, in the draft and all of these years. is It's pretty cool to see two friends sort of finally unite together for like a common goal and him after what he's gone through the last two years still have something left in the tank like legitimately left in the tank so would be very happy to see Melo win a ring and then number three Dwight the the Laker blessing and curse thing with Dwight is just hilarious and still one of the best Laker redemption stories that I followed in a, in a long time if, if not ever all right so let's move on to the practical top three ranks like in terms of team need and what roles these guys filled how would you rank? And I guess let's go back and forth. Number, let's start with, uh, let's go three, two, one. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can start. Okay. So number three, I put Kendrick Nunn, mainly because he essentially replaces that Schroeder off the bench role, even though Schroeder didn't come off the bench. <laughs> um, and he takes on the backup point guard ball handling role for us. While I think we stagger Westbrook and Braun to always have at least one of them on the court for a majority of the game, I do think Kendrick Nunn will be the primary ball handler slash microwave scorer off the bench. And he obviously provides tremendous a tremendous amount of upside and has also proven that he can put up stats on competitive teams. Do his stats in the playoffs stink? Yes, but at least he's had two years you know, going through that experience, hopefully he'll have a better uh, third go around in the playoffs. But when it comes to the regular season as an innings eater off the bench, obviously 48% from the field, right? He's doing this for a competitive team. How can you argue against the Miami Heat farm system over there, the way that they develop players, right? I think over the course of an 82-game season, especially if Westbrook or LeBron James gets injured for a short amount of time or even just needs the night off, Kendrick Nunn is going to be the primary guy who I think steps up in that role. So, and again, Malik Monk could easily take his spot depending on how he shakes out. But as of now, Monk is more of a question mark than Kendrick Nunn, who's older and is the more established player who's proven it in meaningful situations. So that's why I have Kendrick Nunn as my number three, top three, like Lakers free agent signing. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I agree with you. Um, so, I mean, you did a great job of explaining, you know, all of those things. Um, I, I was definitely taking a consideration um, just like I don't want to call it uh, load management because like the lake, we don't really do that. Right. 
But in terms of just like dispersing the load a little bit, um, especially from like LeBron and Westbrook and things like that, um, Kendrick Nunn is going to be huge when it comes to um, taking on that type of responsibility, filling on that role. And, you know, I'd imagine that he's got a pretty significant chip on his shoulder, too, coming off of last year, getting quite a few like DNPs, you know. Yeah. So, um, but at the same time, it isn't that like selfish <laughs> kind of chip of shoulder that we talked about before. Um so, you know, he does have a lot to prove and there's a lot less pressure on him, actually, <clears throat> because of how stacked we are. You know, I, I don't think that there's like from the vast majority, these huge, crazy expectations, you know, for him on this Laker team. He can really just fit in and like soak it all up. But um, that that's not to like underestimate how pivotal he's going to be and how valuable he is for us. So, yeah, I, I've also got him in my top three. Why don't you give me your number two, and then we'll ping pong back and forth like that. Okay. Um, I'm going to go Dwight, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, without him, like, what do we have at center? You know, like, you got, yeah. you got Mark, and then you've got AD, who's probably going to play way more center than Mark will. So, shit, like, then what? Mention him for so I don't want to be redundant. But when we lost him, like, we knew what a huge loss that was. And we friggin' experienced it last year. Like, we tried the Andre Drummond experience. Like, oh, big body, athletic, all these different things. Like, he's, like, weirdly, like, crafty and whatever. But that experiment clearly just didn't work out for a ton of reasons. But with Dwight, dude knows exactly what his role is. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how many times he said now, like, I know I'm a great rebounder. <laughs> I know I'm a great defender. I know I can catch lobs. And then what he left out is like, I'm going to rough guys up too <laughs> down there. Yeah, and that yeah. was like the most freaking fun thing to watch. And as like hilarious and like maybe a little frustrating at times, like he complains and he's like, what? I didn't foul. It's like, yo, Dwight, you need to like chill for a second. But like you need a guy like that. And he's not just a goon, clearly. Like he has so much skill. So I got Dwight at two. And in terms of like a hype man, Dwight Howard is pretty much like an evangelical dude, preacher fans. for the Lakers at this point. We're going to yeah. have fans. Dude. We did not have fans really last year or the year before. Right. And how cool has it been to hear Dwight continually say, I need my Lakers parade. I need my Lakers parade. Talk yeah, about my damn circle. parade. That's right. Yeah, the fact that he didn't get his first parade and he wants to come back, win another championship, and then finally get the all-encapsulating parade is pretty awesome to hear from Dwight. Uh, my number two is Trevor Ariza. Mainly the same reasons that you brought up, Dwight, I bring up Trevor Ariza because currently, and you know, this may change by the time you listen to this, but he's currently our only true wing size defender besides LeBron James, who's 6'9 and actually has a history of guarding the opposing team's best player. Uh, maybe I'll give honorable mention here to Kent Bazemore as well, depending on who holds up the best throughout the regular season. Bazemore has the long arms, and uh, point of attack defense, but he's shorter. Trevor Reza is legit like 6'8 with a 7'2 wingspan, you know? And even last year with Miami, granted it was in a shorter spurts and in only like 20, 30 games, but he was still causing havoc out there with his long arms, like getting into passing lanes and, you know, blocking shots. And just when you have that those long, lanky arms, you're always going to be a threat. And the fact that he has the veteran savviness to go with it, he was still moving his feet as well. I mean, without Trevor Reza, where would our wing defense be? We're just going to rely on LeBron to play tremendous defense for 82 games? I don't, I don't think so. So for that reason, 
probably Trevor Ariza slash Kent Bazemore. I just hope Trevor Ariza can last for 82 games, you know? So, um, and then I'll go to number one because Dwight Howard is my number one for all the reasons you stated, backbone over our defense at this point. More importantly, big man buffer for Anthony Davis. He's almost like Anthony Davis's bodyguard. And yeah, just sets the tone for us especially because we have a weaker-than-expected perimeter defense. I mean, a lot of that brunt is going to fall on Dwight Howard to be the last-line defender in the paint, along with Anthony Davis, of course. But Dwight setting the tone and being a defensive anchor, whether it's off the bench or you know, maybe potentially starting, you just know Dwight Howard's going to have a role no matter what on this team, right? So that's why I have him at number one. Who do you have at number one? <laughs> All right, I'm going with Mello. <laughs> Whoa, I'm going with Mello. I'm going wow, Mello. Okay, tell me why. Okay, so if you think about, like, those Portland teams, right, with Dame and CJ and all that, dude, if you don't have Mello <laughs> on those teams, Portland's a lot worse. And I get it. Like, we're, we're comparing apples and oranges here, right? The Lakers are not the Portland Trailblazers. But it's not like – Mello was just some old vet grizzled guy on the team who could like contribute and offered a bunch of intangibles or whatever, which of course he did with the Blazers, but like he brought some to the table. I mean, you already talked about how he had two quarters, right? Where he closed them out 17 points each time. So what I'm thinking of a lot is like in that second unit, right? If you've got Kendrick Nunn running point, you have Dwight down low, and then say you have Mello in there as well. Right. So we understand Melo is going to give a lot defensively, but you've got Dwight there to anchor it, which is what you just mentioned. But in terms of just like offensive punch, I mean, how many times were we like, yo, this is so stagnant. Like this is driving me crazy watching this right now. We have like a a plethora of guys who could get their own. And if Melo's in there with like some of the young dudes, whether it's like Malik Monk or whatever, uh, I just feel like there's a, a really good balance there that um, can be had. So I have him number one, and it's kind of like a collective take, I guess, and more like how he fits with us, others and how I can see that working extremely well. Um, but I think he's going to play a huge role. He's not going to find himself at the end of the bench getting like sparse minutes. You know, he's going to be relied on. I like that take because Melo's almost like a glue guy in terms of he can play with the starters, he can play with the bench guys, and do you know why he can play with both? It's because he can shoot. And I think while Wayne Ellington is on our team, I think Melo's probably the purest, most lethal shooter yeah. because he does that at that size, Alan. At 6'9", yeah. he's shooting 40%. Wayne Ellington has all these games of like eight games of five plus threes. That's great. But he's also not Carmelo Anthony who undeterred at any moment's notice, you know? So, yeah, I like that. I like that uh, that take by you, Alan. So there you go. Those are a top three I can't wait for Melo to get some rebounds when no one's around and say, give me that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Him, Russell Westbrook, and Dwight Howard, oh LeBron fighting for the rebound Dude. is going to be hilarious. So, so my vision, right, is like, Rebounding was a problem last year. We know that. Like, Westbrook obviously swallowing up rebounds, right? Say he, like, gets a rebound, defensive rebound at the free throw line. LeBron's leaking out. AD's the trailer. You got whoever else on the wing spotting up in the corner. Like, dude, we're going to be freaking unstoppable on the break. It's it's mind-blowing, the possibilities with this team. Anything is possible! Anything is possible! (laughs) <laughs> All right, with that said, we're going to take it to break. When we return, we'll close this episode out and talk about the or- organicness, inorganicness of this team and whether or not that bothers us as Lakers fans at this point in this new Wild Wild West Brook era. All right, we'll take it to break. 
Attention listeners across the galaxy. All the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. So join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. So do you guys remember that one time I told you about that one white stray hair I had down there that almost made me pull a hip muscle after I pulled it? No? Well, there you go. And also, that's the last time you'll ever hear about any such hairy situation from me again. Because ever since I started using Manscaped, the white stray hair snipping process for me has been much smoother than ever. So, are you ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, Performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. Abort hairy balls and Buzz Lightyear that woody with Manscaped. Man, did I write this? I don't know. Anyways, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. For a clean trinity and beyond, your space balls will thank you. Alright, so we're back before we get to... The talk that I wanted to pose to Alan in terms of an organic team versus a mercenary renegade team, just some quick hits with regards to six degrees of separation with regards to all of the Lakers guys and pockets of continuity. So we all know LeBron, Dwight, and Melo played on the 2008 Team USA Redeem team with Kobe. Uh, and then LeBron, AD, Westbrook, and Melo were also on the 2012 team, which was like a Redeem team part two. And obviously LeBron and AD have played with Westbrook in all-star games multiple times, most especially Anthony Davis. Now, some other connecting tissue here include Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza played with each other in Portland. Obviously, they also played against each other throughout all these years, especially in the 08-09 playoffs where Ariza made his mark with the Lakers versus Carmelo Anthony's Nuggets. Um, Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook famously played with each other on the quote-unquote, unfinished business, Oklahoma City Thunder, those Paul I George teams. I forgot about that, which yeah. is crazy. I was like, oh, he was on the Thunder. <laughs> yep. That was their big three at the time, right? Yeah, Mello, right, Paul right. George, and Russell Westbrook. So obviously they have some chemistry, which is good. Trevor Ariza and Dwight Howard played with each other on the Houston Rockets during the 2014 to 2016 season. So even they have a little bit of chemistry. Trevor Ariza played with Kendrick Nunn for a bit in Miami last year. <laughs> hey, Trevor Ariza played with everybody. <laughs> I know he did. You're right. Um, here's one that I didn't expect. Kent Bazemore played with Dwight Howard in Atlanta during Dwight Howard's oh, one right, Atlanta right. season going back home in the 2016-17 season. Here's like the dark horse one that I totally was off my radar. Wayne Ellington actually played 40 games with Marcus Gasol on the Memphis Grizzlies during the 2012-13 season. 
Obviously, they probably don't have much applicable on-court chemistry, but I think for a lot of these guys, even though it seems like a stretch, even just being teammates with each other for half a season gives you a baseline level of familiarity that can always help, especially when you're putting a team like this on the fly, right? And then coaching chemistry-wise, I know their relationship was a bit contentious, but Dave Fisdale was a assistant coach, or actually he might have been the head coach with the Memphis Grizzlies when Marc Gasol was there during the 2016-17 season. And I know while they've had some squabbles, they have actually talked to each other and put that behind them. And if anything, that makes the relationship stronger now if you've gone through an experience like that with somebody. You know what I'm saying? So, And then obviously Fizdale was a Heat assistant coach for eight years from 2008 to 2016 worked with and has a relationship with LeBron James. So that's all the connecting tissue that we have, which is pretty cool. So Alan, to close this episode, I I really wanted to talk about those people and maybe those fans who are jealous of where we're at right now saying, we don't care. You guys just, you guys built this team off LeBron's back. It's all clutch. None of this is organic. It feels like a mercenary hired gun renegade team how can you even be excited as a lakers fan you don't have a giannis like we do you know who was drafted and we saw him from day zero you don't even have a devin booker who was drafted from day zero and we see him go to the finals would we love to have another kobe bryant story where from day one we drafted this kid and we get to see him rise over 20 years and win multiple championships Obviously we would, but that's almost like the exception to the rule in a lot of these cases. And if you even look at Giannis last year, what were the circumstances that it took for him to get to that point? I'm not taking anything away from him, but on the biggest stage, there was no Kevin Durant, there was no LeBron James, et cetera, et cetera. Again, not to take anything away from him, but yes, would we love to have our Kobe, Giannis, Devin Bookers, whatever? For sure. But I guess where do you stand about I guess LeBron overhauling this entire team and it not necessarily feeling as organic as we'd like it to be. We do have THT. Some people may say, yeah, but that's clutch, you know, but we drafted him, right? We, we bought that pick. And I guess the one, one thing I'll add too is, is um, while it may not be organic with regards to a team building standpoint from the Lakers organization level, we just had a whole podcast about team 360 full circle, a lot of these guys are from L.A., man. A lot of these yep. guys are Los Angeles natives. So I, exactly. I don't, it doesn't really get any more organic than that. But what, what are your thoughts on just, you know, would it be fun to have a Devin Booker? Or are you a little down that it's like, man, to the extent that we had organic guys, it was Kuzma and Caruso, but they're gone. But at least they won a chip, right? So Yeah, exactly. They, they saw it through, right? Um, yeah, you made my point as far as a bunch of L.A. guys, a bunch of former Lakers. I mean – that's pretty freaking organic. And if we're going to compare other teams, I mean, what, like, majority organic kind of teams freaking are there? Like, okay, Golden State Warriors, obviously. Like, yeah. Steph, love Draymond, to have a Clay. Yeah. But, like, okay, how many other Laker players have been of that ilk? Okay, you got Kobe. You got Magic Johnson. You have James Worthy. Yeah, true. And, like, that's it. Like, Shaq wasn't, Kareem wasn't, on and on and on. So, like, you could go on and on about those things. And, sure, this year maybe it was just, like, out front and center because the finals matchup was two small market teams. You got Giannis, you got Devin Booker, all that kind of thing. Um, But, no, it doesn't bother me one freaking bit. (laughs) Doesn't dampen your excitement? Hell no. Dude, I couldn't give a shit about that. If anything, like, maybe last year I felt a little bit that way. 
with like okay. Trez and Schroeder and like Wes Matthews. It's like, oh, you got a bunch of like kind of randos in a way. Like they're yeah. good, right? And they, they did their things for their teams or whatever. But I don't know. Like I bet if we listened to a podcast from a year ago, we'd be like, yo, you were like so hyped about them. That's like, yeah, I probably was. But it didn't have the same feeling as this does at all. And again, we know these dudes. We know Dwight. We know Baysmore. We know Ellington, right? We know yeah. Trevor Ariza. And at, when they were with us, granted, like Baysmore and Ellington, like the team freaking sucked then. But it doesn't matter. We were still like super attached to all of them when we got to know their stories and their backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. So to me, it feels as organic as anything. Yeah, I don't think it gets any more organic than Trevor Ariza, who, you know, he was with the Knicks and the Magic, but we're the team that gave him his shot on the biggest stage, and he proved himself, you know? And again, the Dwight Howard thing, I like that you bring up Dwight because he said it himself. It's almost like me and the Lakers were meant to be. I know his best Hall of Fame years were with the Orlando Magic, but the fact that he brought this curse over, took the curse (laughs) away when he returned, brought it back for like a a half year, and then now is back with the Lakers. Look, he's intrinsically linked with us for better or for worse forever you yeah. know what i mean and and again would we love to have another kobe bryant situation where we see a generational talent rise from day zero of course we would that's but that's just like a cherry on top at this point you know what i mean even steph curry's warriors the way that they became a dynasty was by getting a hired gun in kevin durant so i mean obviously they're more excited because they have homegrown guys like flanking kevin durant but look we're going to make the best out of this situation, obviously. Not and hard. <laughs> not hard at all. And LeBron James has already proven himself to be a Laker, given the fact that he came here by himself without Anthony Davis yet. Did he puppeteer some situations to eventually get that to happen? Sure. But he had that down year with the young kids where he was injured. He's gone through the trenches with us. He's a Laker as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? And he actually bridged the gap during that you know, unfortunate year where Kobe Bryant passed away. Like, what other leader do you want to be there to, at that moment, lift the spirits of your guys during such a devastating moment for not only the franchise, but the basketball community at large? It was LeBron James in a Laker uniform, you know? So, and to your point about who's organic in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets, like our number one main competitor, is the most inorganic team that could ever have been put together. You got Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. There's no strand of Brooklyn Nets DNA left on that team. What to the is ex- Brooklyn Nets DNA, by the Good way? Good question. I think <laughs> Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, Keith Van Harris Horn. Levert, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So... I mean, if you just look at it that way, even the Clippers were built in the last two to three years. You know, there's no one really organic from their team. They shipped out Shea, Gilgis, Alexander. You know what I mean? That's just the NBA. That's just the NBA, especially in this day and age, right? With uh, player empowerment and just so much movement. Is it dope that Milwaukee won the chip and they got to see Giannis do it from day one till now? Absolutely dope. I would hope that for us as well. That's why I'm resting on THT to be that guy for us. Who knows if he's going to become that guy? But to see him win another championship in a, in a larger role where he sort of comes into his own as well would sort of elicit the same feelings. And at this point, Anthony Davis is as Laker as it gets because it's the first time he actually played meaningful competitive basketball in a sustained period of time, not just the first round, and really proved to himself and the rest of the world that Yo, I'm a winning type of player. 
in some senses, Anthony Davis, I know he started off with the New Orleans Pelicans, but in a lot of ways, he is our own. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. We're aligned on that. You know, I just know that it's 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 another thing, and it's a it's a faulty argument that people can throw out to try and steal our joy as Lakers fans. Hey, the inorganic, you guys just made that team on the fly, and how can you be, you know, happy or proud of yourselves? I don't know, man. Lakers exceptionalism, because we can. It's Hollywood, baby. All these guys <laughs> come from Los Angeles. They They lived here. It's as L.A. as can get, so... With that said, it's going to be lit. It's lit. The Homecoming Kings, it's going to be lit. So uh, with that said, thank you guys for listening. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And the season is right around the corner. It's going to be fun. And Austin Reeves, Alan, he's unbereavesable. That's where our organicness is going to come from, exactly. right there, baby. Exactly. <laughs> Austin Reeves okay. and Mac McClung. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll catch you later, Alan. All right, dude. Later. Peace. Peace.